When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When I first read it, I had two reactions. One was a, a huge laugh, and then I said, thank God somebody exposed this. You know, you think, oh, these people are studying racism and sexism. Okay, somebody should be doing that, and good. Then you start looking at it, and they publish some crazy stuff. I mean, crazy stuff. Our goal is to publish as many papers as we can that are unbelievably sophisticated parodies. And we're gonna publish these in tier one journals. That was me. I translated Mein Kampf in a paper for a feminist gender studies journal. <laughs> it's hard to convey to people who are not in this world what an insane idea this is. I mean, literally to delegitimize an entire body of scholarship. And I'm fighting these people. I'm just not gonna let them smear other people as bigoted, racist, homophobic. I'm sick of it. And they think they're coming for me. I'm coming for all of them. And welcome. To uh, Mike Nana and James Lindsay joining me uh, for this live stream, talk about the movie The Reformers, and uh, dive into the nitty gritty of this project that put you both on the map. Um, Nana, you'd already gone viral uh, for uh, another movie that you made uh, a few years prior. Am I correct? Yeah, kind of. And then you got involved in this stuff. How did you guys hook up? What's the origin story of this dynamic duo? Uh, well, I was looking into this stuff in Melbourne because, I mean, you know, anyone with a brain could kind of see the great awakening happening around them. And uh, I found that my moral world was being policed by something that wasn't intuitively moral to me. And so I started looking at what, what these people were talking about, what they were um what they were reading, I started going to a lot of protests in Melbourne and um, just trying to figure out where this new ideology came from and ended up in the universities, so speaking to all kinds of uh, academics, you know, sitting in on gender studies um, lectures and that we don't really have critical race theory back home. We've got more post-colonial stuff, so a lot of the, uh, the cultural studies stuff and... That led me to go to the other side and start meeting with people that were skeptical about it and wandered into something I call the intellectual underground, which was a lot of uh, academics and kind of intellectuals who were all against this stuff and speaking privately. Um, uh, and, you know, one thing led to another and all of a sudden... Uh, what's the, what's the difference the, the vibe between 
th- these two sides, like the, the, what we call woke now. Um, but when you first went to the protests and went to the academia, did you have like kind of a sense of the vibe of like, like their, their sense of morality or their sense of intensity or their sense of, yeah, I, I know you're an artist. Well, it's, so always been very, re- it's always been very religious. Um, there's a, a deep sense of camaraderie and, uh, the, the lectures, they always feel like kind of, softly spoken sermons so it's it's a it's a very it's an interesting place and very and very hostile if you don't go along with um asking questions isn't isn't uh something is kind of frowned upon so me being being interested in it and what the hell was going on with it and from a skeptical standpoint um i did my best to to uh come across as as on their side but it was i've, I've always been pretty skeptical of the ideology and so um, they pick up on that pretty quickly and then get really hostile. Um, yeah, yeah. And then the other side was scared for the most part. I think uh, a few of my earlier uh, interactions with academics were things like taking me off their official um, university email just so we could talk about things and it, when there wasn't a paper trail. And um, huh. meeting, I met one guy in his office and... He, he started kind of squirming in his seat at one point um, and he said, Let, let's just go to a cafe. And we ended up going to a cafe down the road and on the way he was saying, I just, just didn't want anyone to hear us. <laughs> and so when, when that started happening and privately these people were very passionate again about their opposition to these uh, identity studies um, courses, but um, publicly was, was a very different thing. And so uh, it, you know when you're in a situation like that that there's some kind of energy that, will, that can be kind of channeled into an interesting film. And so I just kept, kept pushing and looking and speaking and talking. And then it eventually met Pete, who um, in his Pete way just kind of... I, yeah, yeah. I got something for you, man. I got something for you. You have to keep it secret. And just like, <laughs> oh, it's very, very. It, it it turned into a, it turned into a kind of Hollywood movie when Pete when Pete entered the scene. He's very big and uh, and interesting. And so, and then I met Jim and and obviously Helen after that. Then how did you how did you stumble upon this, James? I, I'm sure this is covered in the movie, but just for the sake of this conversation now. Did I? How did I stumble on woke? Or my? Yeah, I get. Yeah. So, what's your entry into like the vibe of, of what was going on and and your oh cherished? Gosh, it's way ac- back. It's, it's way back. I mean, we're talking like 2011, maybe. Um, I had gotten interested and involved in that new atheism thing. In fact, I was really new to it in 2011. I barely knew what was going on. It was just some online discussion forum stuff. I guess there were conferences. I wasn't going to them. I had seen a copy of The God Delusion, but I was like, you know, don't read that. Like, oh, no, uh, that's bad. And so I wouldn't read it. And um, so I was kind of like right on the edges, starting to read that stuff and paying attention to what was going on online. And there was this thing called Elevator Gate that happened in 2011 where this feminist girl went to a conference in a very nice hotel, I guess, in, in Ireland or Dublin, maybe specifically. I don't remember for sure. I wasn't there. And she got asked out in an elevator to coffee after her panel uh, by some young man who ignored her completely after she shot him down. And she went on and did a blog post, a video blog, a vlog, they called them back in the day, about um, 
how don't do this guys that's misogyny that puts women there we're scared of you all we're all scared of men and blah 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 and it blew up because richard dawkins made fun of it and so immediately i'm i mean like i step into this world out of mathematics and doing my whole math thing and i step into this world of like kind of online culture debate and all of a sudden i'm like what the heck is all this and then if not long later i mean i've told the story a couple of times but i'm out to like an evening out or whatever at the bar it's sort of bar restaurant thing a lot of people go to these as a big table and as it happens in my life i have a lot of uh, groups of friends that don't necessarily overlap you know i have this academic background i have my through my brother kind of his like socialite you know urban socialite background i've got this also because of martial arts i know all these you know blue collar dudes and so we kind of had like the mixing of different groups here at this table and there was a guy there that's a friend of mine. He's a blue collar guy. He's talking about his job in this factory. And I think this was in 12. It might have been early 13. But I think this was as early as 12. And um, he's talking about how he's virtually positive his floor manager at this factory is an affirmative action hire is going to get somebody killed because she doesn't know what she's doing. It's a black woman who has no idea what she's doing. It doesn't know. It's like she's a fine person, I guess, as far as it goes. But she doesn't know how to manage a factory floor with heavy machinery and it's it's like not that good so this you know master's degree toting white woman speaks up well don't you think that's racist to say that she's what we would now call a diversity hire and he was like no she's gonna get somebody killed and this kind of started to go back and forth with don't you think that's a little racist vibe and none of us had vocabulary for this back then but i thought it would be a good idea being a bridge between these two social circles to step in and say something and i said listen, you know, y'all talking to the, the woman with a master's degree are all about hearing everybody's story. He's telling somebody's story. And I think you should probably listen to his story too. His story counts. Maybe he's right. Maybe he's wrong, but we should listen. And she's like, no, he's a white man. His story has been told. And I thought, oh shit, something is not good here. And so then I start looking into this whole woke phenomenon, which is growing. The atheism plus thing is turning into this cancer within the new atheism movement, eating it from within. Peter and I start collaborating or talking about it a lot. Pete talks me into writing. You know how Pete is, if you know Pete. He talks me into writing a few things. Privilege is sin, like original sin for this left movement. I think at the time it was being called a regressive left man. People got mad. We published that together. People got upset. He talked me into publishing an article like way back, maybe in like 2014 or 15, like that it doesn't make sense. Imagine this now, looking back eight, nine years later, <laughs> to have pride in your identity. So like gay pride is stupid. It's like, why don't you just be yourself? You don't have to have pride in how you were born. And so I wrote this article and I got in a lot of trouble for that. It was Pete's idea. Thanks, Pete. Um, yeah. But <laughs> So you started, when you start to communicate, you were communicating sincerely. Yes, of you're, course. You're going head on. Of course. Because at some point you guys decide to, to infiltrate. Well, and one thing leads to another. Pete and I are having these conversations like we think it works like a religion. Of course, we're in the atheist frame. We're like, well, how do you discredit a religion? Um, what do we do? We're trying to criticize it. This is very important. This is a really important point that people have missed many times. We tried to sincerely and flatly criticize it. Me and Helen together, Helen on her own, me on my own, Pete on his own, me and Pete, Pete and Helen, we're not working together yet. I was like the vertex of this V relationship between the two of them. And um, 
we're all trying to criticize it in good faith. And what we kept being told is you don't have credentials. You don't have a degree in it. Helen kind of does, but they, and she's also female, hmm. as you might have noticed, but that doesn't seem to matter. We didn't have a PhD. Peter and I are white men. We weren't allowed to criticize it. So Peter and I are talking about how do we deal with this? What do we do? And then all of a sudden this paper, I've you know, mentioned this many, many times about feminist glaciology. The study of glaciers from a feminist perspective gets published in a very high ranking geography journal. I read the entire paper on my own podcast because people don't believe me how insane the stuff in it is. But I read yeah. this paper and like basically shut down. I was like, I can't handle this. Like three days, dark room. Like I can't talk to people. Science is, is falling. It, this is terrible. I'm seeing the videos online, like roads going, the roads thing, roads must fall. Science must fall from South Africa. I'm like, what is going on? They're going after the hard sciences, which is my background. Like, this is horrible. Why are academic journals and universities taking this seriously? And then um, a journalist named Matt Ridley, I think writing in The Spectator, but I don't remember for sure, writes an article saying that he still maintains, I still remember the quote, I still maintain that this paper is an academic hoax, but its authors and universities stand by it. And I was like, huh. And I sent it to Pete and Pete, I think, sent it to me like simultaneously. We sent it to each other. We end up on the phone talking about it. Pete's like, let's hoax him. Let's do like Alan Sokol did in the 90s and let's hoax them. They're ready for a hoax. That will delegitimize their canon of literature. And he always speaks that way, you know. And so <laughs> we'll delegitimize their entire canon of literature. And, and <laughs> that will pull the legs out from under them. So we write this hoax in 2017 called The Conceptual Penis as a Social Construct, which was flatly hilarious. It's the funniest thing I think I've ever done in my life. Um, and we got it into what's probably a journal that's predatory. And so it was very controversial in the, you know, kind of benign meaning of the word. Like it really was like not clear what we had shown, but we spiked the hell out of that football. We're like, gender studies is fake. We proved it. And uh, in Skeptic Magazine, Michael Shermer let us publish that there. And um, man, it was a big mess. People were very upset. Most people said Pete and I were white men. And so we were not qualified to do such a thing. And we were being hostile. Uh, when actually what we were trying to do is shine light on a problem. And so then a couple people, including Alan Sokol himself, wrote critical reviews of the work. And one was very hostile in Salon uh, and then Alan Sokol. And they were the only two that gave any substance of criticism. And both of them said roughly the same thing. If you wanted to prove your point, you need to do X, Y, Z. And it was, you know, higher tier journals, multiple examples, blah, blah, blah. And so Peter and I got on the phone with each other and said, you want to go do exactly what they said. And so then we embarked on this, you know, that would have been, so that came out, the conceptual penis landed on May 19th, 2017, early June, I guess it would have been the 7th, 8th or 9th of June, 2017. We decided for sure we're going to do this. I happen to remember those dates because they're relevant to birthdays in my life, as it turns out. Uh, I don't remember them because I'm autistic. But uh, <laughs> in August, we started in earnest, realized we were going to get absolutely rolled, that we didn't understand the literature well enough. But Helen had written a very positive review of the conceptual penis and what it had attempted to do. And I had a good relationship with Helen by then. So I reached out and asked Helen if she'd be willing to help us do a much grander project. And she was. She was, she was content to lend her expertise. So it maybe the first week of September, we brought Helen in. Um, I think Mike had already started to talk to Peter and I by that point, but plus or minus a week, one way or the other. I mean, it's right around the same time Mike got involved. And uh, before you know it, in November, Helen and I had written an, an essay about um, both sides 
issues. Uh, in particular, though, talking about the pre-modern right and the post-modern left, and that it was a, kind of the death of modernity. And we got invited mm. to speak at a conference in Sydney to present about this. And here I am working with Mike. He's in Australia. He's in Melbourne. And I'm like, well, we can actually sit down in person. So I flew over to Australia a few days early, spent the better part of a week with Mike. Um, Mike drove me across the wild wilderness of uh, New South Wales, deposited me in Sydney. We had a great time. He crashed on the floor in my hotel room, um, which was a dodgy looking floor in a hotel room, if I remember correctly. <laughs> Met Helen and the relationship really kind of kicked off. Uh, and we really started to kind of move in this direction of fine. You know what? It didn't sound very much like Peter. You know what? You know what? Fine. You don't want to listen to me. You won't take my criticism. Fine. We'll show you. We'll show you that we are credentialed to talk about this. We, my view was that we, if we could get papers published, we must know what we're talking about. We must understand it well enough to be able to criticize it and yeah. be taken seriously. And that was Helen's main motivation as well, if I remember correctly, was she wanted to show that we do not, we do understand this. We can publish research literature that, you know, I keep hearing people say now three papers is a, is a dissertation. So as a doctorate, well, it turns out we wrote 27 of which were accepted, maybe 12 of which would have been. So that's certainly the beginning of an academic career. We know what we were talking about. Um, but yeah, it started off with us trying to seeing this problem in different angles, trying to criticize it in good faith, being told that because of either our identity or because of our lack of credentials in nonsense that we weren't allowed to criticize it and then saying you know what let's prove that we have the grounds to criticize it and expose that it's a fraud at the same time um mm -hmm. so that that was that's the the origin story of this whole thing everybody thinks we must have had like nefarious underhanded evil purposes but no it was really like we we saw a problem we wanted to criticize and this was a way to get taken seriously and to uh, expose what was going on at the same time and Mike, what were the struggles to turn this into a story? Like when, when you try to turn this into a narrative, a documentary film, like what were some of the hurdles? Cause it sounds like there's so many different layers to this. Like there's yeah. the theoretical layer, there's the personal layer, and then there's the institutional layer and probably other things going on. So I wonder yeah. how you, how you struggle with that. And the jeez, uh, how, I would have gone about it very, very differently if I went about it again. But at the time, I didn't feel I knew enough about the canon or what they were talking about or, you know, the, the, the lineage of these ideas or anything like that to be able to um, take a strong stance on it. And so my solution then was that because in some sense, I didn't even know what questions to ask as I as I jumped into this. Um, I just knew that there was something there. And so my solution to that was I'm just going to share my experience of learning as much as I can about this thing and meeting these people and this project and let the audience piece it together similar to how I would have pieced it together. Just, just, just let it present itself. I'm not this kind of, uh, what would you say, God's eye view voice saying um, this is bad because I'm just like this is, this is what I experienced, this is... Uh, this, these are the people who are, who are, who are doing this. Um, and that was, that was my solution, a, a kind of um, montage of my experience, more or less. And so, I mean, it, it's definitely, it's an artistic project. And so um, it's not like a traditional film in many ways. And so it's not, and so I think a lot of people are disappointed 
for that reason as well because they're expecting this kind of um, what is a woman type, uh, you know, Michael Moore expose or something like that. But um, I a, went about a targeted attack on the ideas or the institution. Kind of yeah, thing. I think I could do one now. Uh, I, I, I don't think while, while I was filming, I, I was in the position to do one. And so I, I did what I did as, a, as an artistic enterprise as well, because I kind of wanted to add in this layer of, um, I really wanted it to, I call it a 360 production. And I don't really know how to explain that properly other than the camera is a window into what was happening and I, I walk around it. And so it's kind of, I'm trying to show as much of my, my working pro, pro, uh, process as, as possible. Cause I, it's like a struggle not to make propaganda. And so, and so maybe it was, it was an attempt to give just, just like we did with the, with the, uh, release of this thing, trying, trying to give as much of the information as possible and let the audience, um, piece it together with alongside us rather than, uh, the, can kind of create a propaganda and have, have in our minds what the, what we wanted the audience to think and then, you know, create, create the, uh, the, the information or the presentations accordingly. And so, um, yeah, I mean, that, that was my answer. And also, so I guess there was two, two enterprises here was one to, um, share the story of the the grievance studies affair project yeah. and also to to share as much of it as i could without without constructing a piece of propaganda if that makes okay. any sense so james you guys do all this work to to pull down the pants on, on the academy and they just move the bar right oh. Oh, like you're not credentialed and they move the bar and then you disprove this yeah. thing. They move the bar. So what, what are you, were you disheartened by the fact that argumentation critique and even hoaxing, even parody doesn't really work? Like where, how have you had to revise your attack? If it is an attack on this disease, if it is a disease, um, by going through this and doing everything you can to, you know, do it, uh, sincerely do it, um, Paradox, paradoxically or whatever and then where what are you left with well you know the thing is i don't want to speak for mike because he might be with me on this but speaking about helen and, and peter i think i'm the only one who fully expected that the nothing would change so to speak in academia i figured that they would move the bar i completely expected that from the beginning and i figured that was just going to be another step in their own discrediting uh which i think is the name of the game but i've come to understand and appreciate that much more thoroughly since that our path to victory in curing this disease if we want to use that or winning this culture war repelling this cultural revolution whatever we want to phrase this as, um, that we have to recognize they've taken the institutions. They're not about to give them up. They have no hesitation to just lie or cheat or steal or move the goalposts away so that they get to maintain the positions that they've taken. They get to keep the ground that they've they, they've taken out from under us. Uh, and so what I've learned is that this there's this kind of chipping away process. We win by chipping away and chipping away and chipping away and forcing them to show a larger and larger body of people that they can't be trusted, that the credentials that they were demanding from me and Peter and Helen in 2015 are now eight years later seen as something, in fact, that's frankly bogus. I just saw a, a news article. I shared it with great laughter that um, people are passing, hiring, hiring managers are passing by uh 
applications that have they them pronouns. Well, good. It, it's I mean, significant well, levels, according to this, according to this article, significantly more and more. Significantly more. Okay. Yeah. Well, so they're going to try to paint this as bigotry, but it's not. It's literally like who wants to hire a liability? It's it's you know this person's not going to work hard. You know this person's going to be a liability. You know this person's going to sue when you try to make them work and they don't, so you fire them. Um, you know they're going to be a narcissist. Anybody who has plural pronouns for themselves has got something going on. And so this is a long march through the delegitimizing of the institutions that they've taken over yeah, is what yeah. we're actually doing. We're showing, yeah. so so Marxist infiltrators or cultural Marxists, you know, with Gramsci's ideas that get turned into Rudy Deutschke's expression of the long march of the institutions, they're really good at taking over reservoirs of capital, whether those are financial capital or material capital, whether they're cultural capital, the 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 culture industry is what the critical Marxists called it, or, you know, the, the industry of cool. They're really good at taking over those things, social capital. They're very human capital. They're very good at taking these things over, but they don't know what legitimacy looks like. So they're very bad at dealing with it once they have that. So it's basically like they're like pirates that come in and steal a big treasure chest full of gold, but they yeah. don't know how to manage money. So they just spend it all down on stuff like Nikes. And, um, they blow all their credibility. And what I've learned is that this is actually our job is to continue helping them waste the capital they've stolen. And I don't have any longer. The biggest change in me is that I have very little interest now in whether or not the institutions that they've taken over come out of this or, 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 or don't. I used to really, oh, we have to save the universities. Well, it'd be great if we do. I don't give a crap. If the universities fail, if they fall, if we move on to a different model, they 100% deserve it. They absolutely deserve it. So so what? Public schools, if they fail, eh, too bad. I think that, that's got- one of the big, big mindset changes that I, I've seen in you. And I, I would say that I have as well. But I think another mindset change, um, looking back at how I thought about things back then, um, my conception of the marketplace of ideas has changed and a lot changes when that changes. And um, it's not, there's a kind of naive conception of the marketplace of ideas and a lot of the behaviors within the film and even the project itself is, is, is based on uh, the marketplace of ideas operating in this open free, free flow way. And uh, there being some kind of even keel, for or you know even battleground for for different kinds of ideas but um it's just clearly not the case and there's 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 clearly a i guess a an ideas aristocracy that are very very much um in control of of the the kind of ground that the discourse takes place in and then then of course you've got uh ngos involved in this you've got all kinds of money money involved and so it's it's not a a marketplace of ideas it's a it's a uh it's, it's something completely different and i think that a lot of the behavior and conversations that happen throughout this project um that i that i see when i you know when i look over the footage and the questions i was asking and the answers they were giving was i think we had a naive conception of how the the the, the discourse worked i don't think i think it's much more engineered than, than i used to think and that, that naive conception of it uh, will get you to behave in, in certain ways. 
that, that I don't think are useful. And, and so this is, this is why I've, I've probably become more radical about my, my stance on these things and the, the methods we need to use to, to push back. Yeah, one yeah, I of think the... very little of this is this organic okay. bottom-up yeah. thing. It is happening. It is happening. But it's been partly induced. It is partly the result of the long march for the institutions, but it's also the result of a massive, massive propaganda campaign giving it the air cover it needs, or you know, if we use a different metaphor, the fertilizer it needs for those those weeds to grow. Um, the media, the entertainment complex, even education at this point, it's just it's, you can think of it as just raining fertilizer down on a, on a bed of weeds uh, that have been planted by these academic institutions and, and other things. And that propaganda campaign, you know, what Trump called the fake news apparatus or the enemy of the American people. I mean, that's, in my opinion at this point, just a fully coordinated psyops. There's, there's almost nothing else that I think that you can use to describe it. And if that's the case, it's coordinated and it's paid for. And I think that we can kind of see, and we could spend a lot of time talking about that, but I no longer think of this as just like, a, it, there's an element to it where it's a lot of kids that got caught up in some stuff and kind of like created a, a kind of a, a algal bloom of like cultural poison or whatever. But there's a reason that it's gone as far as it has. I'm able to do as much damage as it has. And it, I don't, it, it's not wholly organic. For example, I mean, well, I there's, just, a, there's a, but, but just to cut you off for a, sorry, yeah, sorry for a second. I think this is an interesting point of conversation because I, I, I do want to talk about this, uh, you know, personally and, and publicly uh, is um, I think that I've probably become more radical than Helen and Pete, but then you've taken a step. And I would say that that step is, and, and I'm, I'm open to being convinced down this, down this road, but I think that step is the, the, just what you said there about the coordination. I see emergent, um, I, see, I see a lot of opportunists and, um, and elite collaboration, which happens in an opportunistic way. I, I really don't see the co coordination or maybe coordination is just too, too much of a stronger word. And I think it's probably this, this is probably the only uh, point at which, at which we part. And I can't really, I can't keep up or something. I haven't, I haven't seen what you've seen or we've, we haven't had these long conversations like we used to. And so that, that's probably the difference between you and I right now. Well, I actually agree that there's a lot of like emergent behavior here. There's a lot of things, like I said, it's more like the, the coordinators are planting seeds and then they tend the gardens that start to grow, I think is really what's going on. You don't have a Mao figure standing up there saying this is how things are going to be nearly to the degree uh, that one might suspect when we talk about coordination. But the example I was about to give, I just went to Philadelphia, the wild moms for liberty, uh, joyful warriors, they called it national Minivan, summit. Minivan, Taliban, assholes with casseroles. Well, they got slammed. They got oh, astroturfed yeah, on Twitter. Every, it was crazy. Assholes with casseroles, I think, might have been my favorite. Um, that was beautiful. Twatsies is pretty good. They're <laughs> what, was, there was, what was the clan Karenhood or something? Clan Karenhood, <laughs> yeah. Oh, and then, um, that was actually good. That was good. Yeah, I saw that and I was yeah. like, I, I, you know, I don't, I don't agree Except with that. Except it turns geez, out that Margaret Sanger really was a, a eugenicist who really did give speeches to the actual clan. So, oops, okay. that one goes a little backwards on them when you know your history. Uh, <laughs> but whatever, whatever. But I was there and there was a huge protest outside varying at different points from anywhere from about 100 people, maybe up to maybe three or 400 at some points. I'm not quite sure. I actually spent not that much time outside. I, I know better. I mean, I went out in the city a few times, but you just go out the side entrance and nobody's there because they were, you know, herded off in police barricades uh, and you don't go toward it. You go away from it. Uh, not that complicated. 
But um, like if you want to get an Uber, you go outside, you walk down the block a couple of blocks, you call the Uber from there, don't go out in front of the hotel. Like there's simple, sensible things to do that some of us did. But um, so I don't know how many were there for sure. But I talked to a lot of people and they were like, these aren't people from Philadelphia. And then there were parent, there were moms in the room who were on the flights with the people who were being flown in from Portland and Seattle. Uh, there were people that were bussed up from North Carolina, an activist group. There's people who were brought down from New York. And one of the moms actually got mistaken for an activist when she went out to go to the, go get some food across the street at the reading market. And they were like trying to tell her where she had to go to get her gift cards. And like, it was all paid for like this and the, oh, the narrative shit. they're trying to spin now, like after we know some significant percentage, there were people there talking. The protesters were like, well, we've got to hurry and wrap this one up because we all got to get down to Miami for this next thing. It's like there's a level of coordination happening there and they want it to look organic because the narrative they're spinning. They wrote an article in The Nation last night that's just hilarious. There's one in Jacobin today that's funny as hell. And the narrative they're trying to spin is Moms for Liberty came to Philadelphia and were not welcomed. This is the this is we didn't want you here and we you saw it, but it wasn't even Philadelphians. We talked to the cops. We're like, you know, how many of these people are actually from Philadelphia? They're like a few. Most of them aren't. We know these aren't mm -hmm. Philadelphians. And so they create this image. But a lot of them were paid to come in. It's not like their hobby. It's their job. I mean, Mark Robinson, the lieutenant governor of North Carolina, got on stage and joked about it. He was like, when do those guys get off? You know, how much are they getting paid an hour? And it turns out that there's a lot of truth to that, as a, not as a matter of conjecture or speculation, but as a matter of we literally heard them talking about it. And they tried to, you know, get the gift cards so, and, so and payment to what, some of the moms they thought were on their side. So what what unites all the different nodes in this 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 kind of rainbow blob? Is it is it are we talking it's the it's people working on behalf of the Democratic Party. Is, is that what we're talking about? Or, or what, what exactly is it that we're talking about that's coordinated? Well, that would be a wonderful question. This, I don't know the answer to that. There were members of the Democratic Party of Pennsylvania, uh, one of whom, uh, Nick, I don't know, Nikhil something or another, he's a state senator, um, is a Democratic Socialist of America Party senator that's on the Democratic ticket. Uh, and he stood up in favor of the protests. So there's definitely this link. There were a few other elected Democrats that stood up on the side of the protesters. But the organizing groups that organized that protest were a group called ACT UP and the Young Communist League of Philadelphia, which is the youth division of the Communist Party USA Philadelphia chapter. They put that on the flyers. They made it very apparent that's in the articles talking about it. That's who actually organized it. So anybody who wanted to chase the money trail would start looking at ACT UP. And, uh, and ironically, the Moms for Liberty put on their website a quote from Hitler about the youth, and it was talking about the, the, the protesters or talking about the, the it's not capturing quite of... Correct. It was in the newsletter for okay. a chapter in Indiana. They put it in their monthly newsletter, it turns out, about the week before. And they quoted Hitler saying, they're basically paraphrasing Biden and things that Biden was saying where Biden said, they're not your kids. They're all our kids. But yep. what they said from Hitler was he who gains the youth gains the future or he, who, whoever, something like that. Whoever has the youth owns youth. He who owns the youth gains the future. That's the Hitler quote. Exactly. And so they like, were talking oh, about their Liberty. enemies, not about themselves. Correct. And they were and like, then their enemies say that they're talking Hitler. about themselves. Yeah. They quote Hitler and like, yeah, a lot of people quote Hitler because he was a bad guy. <laughs> you kind of want to know what bad people do. Um, duh. And so 
this was kind of context behind this, but they were already protesting this months out in advance. Um, they were building this up. Act Up, ironically, speaking of Hitler, Act Up, one of the uh, a guy named Ryan Staley, who's kind of a, a great dude, um, does research for parents defending education. Uh, he was looking into the group Act Up a couple of weeks before the summit. And he digs up the fact that in the 90s, the guy who created ACT UP was like, we got to back off. We're becoming really fascistic. And in the article that he wrote, he's like, maybe we shouldn't have used Mein Kampf as a training manual. Like, it's literally like Hitler Youth. So this is the organization. I don't know who's paying them. I don't know how they get money, but they clearly have money. If So I can't look at that and say there's not some degree of coordination. Okay. If somebody's sprinkling well, a lot well, of funding into that. It's the funding. So that, that's, the, that's the point at which that's the thing you have to trace to figure out where the coordination is. But what it looks like to me is, is, is just a, how would, a really huge third sector that's actually more powerful than, than a, a lot of things right now. And so it's, it strikes me as all these, all these nodes we're talking about inside the rainbow blob, they can all be fed by a really huge third sector and a lot of uh, economic infrastructure in that. And they can all appear to be the same thing, but what we've got is just an activist industry and, yeah, and a lot right. of money. And the, the, interest, the interesting thing, I think, was... Um, Decades ago, I would say that was more of a balance. I've been looking into this. I've been trying to figure out what's going on with all these mm-hmm. 501c3s and c4s in the US and their, their knock-on effect because we're all connected now on my country and England and all sorts of things because there's huge amounts of money going through over there. And I think that earlier on, decades ago, this was more, there was more of a balance because you had uh, <laughs> economically disabled lefties um, or, or, you know, consciously so because they were, they were kind of economic Marxists, um, taking over the universities. And so that's where you had that kind of ideology, ideology being fed money and resources and, and people having time to, to figure out these ideas and create these thought templates. And then on the other side, you had a, 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 a think tank constellation that was very much right wing and and probably very uh what would you call it um libertarian focused and i think that a lot of the the kind of third sector money and and stuff was was happening in in on the right wing so because you had you had a lot of these businessmen who were pumping money into it and they were traditionally right and so part of part of what's happening with that infrastructure is you've got a new generation of tech a uh, million and billionaire who lean a bit more left. And so all of a sudden that that 501c3, c4, which are just non-profit organizations that, who are operating in the third sector, all of a sudden a lot more money starts pouring in over there. But not only that, they've got the lefts have Hollywood, they have the universities. And so all of a sudden you've got this, this huge... Uh, cultural production blob <laughs> we've been calling it getting a lot of money and and not only that you've, you've plugged in the internet now and so so there's there's people who are kind of um spreading these ideas for uh it's it, it's it's, a, it's the biggest ideological distribution piece of technology since the printing press and so it happens at the same time that all these other cultural factors are happening and then all of a sudden what you have is this is this is this huge industry this multi-billion dollar industry that that might look more coordinated than it is but it's it's just career activists 
and their mm-hmm. ideology is getting more and more left. And this is a very, very powerful... It, I think it, there's something crazy going on inside the culture in that activists get treated like they're the activists from the 70s who are doing it tough and, you know, you know <laughs> bleeding, bleeding and, and sweating into their, into their activism. But n- now they're all... They're, it's like a job. It's like a cushy no, job. No, they're outside and pumping trees and light poles and things in, in Philadelphia. I mean, I've seen the videos. It was really, really obnoxious and silly. But <laughs> what you just said is all true. Like, so I talk a lot about this being... And this, I don't want to get off on the tangent yet. We can come back to it if it gets there. But I talk about this being a Gnostic cult all the time. Well, the temptation to a Gnostic cult is we understand the thing you understand better and they don't want you to. So come with us and join our cult and we'll tell you the true secrets of the universe. So for example, American values, there's this thing called the dignity index and they've ranked, you know, from contempt to dignity on a scale of one to eight where different institutions or cultures or whatever happen to be. And they're building this out in some kind of crackpot. It's called United uh, education website that's created by Tim Shriver uh, of formerly of the Special Olympics and now of like every form of Deepak Chopra, woo-woo, new age bullshit you can imagine. And so they have what is the American values, which is basically like, yeah, you do you and I'll do me and we don't step on each other. We don't infringe on other people's rights. And that's human dignity as level five out of eight. So they know the secret level six, level seven, level eight. They, oh, yeah, the thing you're doing is pretty good, but it's only level five. Did you know there's three more levels? Come with us. And the Internet is perfect for that. So all this stuff I was encountering in the culture war in 12, 11, 12, 13, 14, it was all these blogs and vlogs. And what you had were all these feminists, particularly at the time, who were coming on and peddling their feminism, who never would have been able to be published before that. They never would have been able to start to build a platform, but they had blogging platforms on Blogspot. On, you know, they started to build networks. Free Thought Blogs was one. Um, whatever the hell the Atheism Plus one was called, I forgot. Rational Wiki. I don't know, something like that. No, that's not it. There's another one, something like this. They're so freaking irrelevant, it doesn't even matter. But the point is that they had these blogging networks. It was like a big deal. They had platforms all of a sudden. And what were they saying? Hey, the real history of the United States, you guys know some history of the United States, but you don't know the real, real history. You don't know the critical history. You don't know what Howard Zinn said. You don't know the real history of women. You don't know the real history of blacks. You don't know the real story of the civil rights. We're taking that to the next level. So that Gnostic temptation is kind of very effectively uploaded onto the internet. We know more than the official story. Come with us. That's and the, the identity. It's not cult. identity studies for no reason. It it right. it, it, it it helps people create identities because your identity is yeah. that which is not normal. And right. well, uh, you're you being oppressed by that which is normal. And it's a, it's a very it's a very it, I think it's a very alluring thing to teenagers. Um, yeah. And because of the patriarchal element of it, very alluring. To you get to know girls. your true self outside of the constructions of society. You get yeah. to know who you really, yeah. really are. It's, that's a it's big not, deal. It's not identity. They're not studying identity. They're building identity. That's a, probably a, a really a better way to put it. Um, and as far as yeah, these, and, um, and so, and so when, when that when that comes into contact with with all this this infrastructure that James is talking about, because I was running into this infrastructure as well when I first started looking into it, and that was how I traced the 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 kind of doctrines back to the university, which were which was obviously their genesis point. Um, and now we've got this kind of bastardized uh, internet version of whatever's going on, and it's it's evolving as we speak, which is kind of that's right. Um, that's right. Well, and Mike, so you have you to you know, have to deal with that directly because you uh, just in order to make the film and to produce the film, you had to look at the the incentive structures and the power structures in the film industry. Oh and, yeah, and I've been that. eating shit ever since I started looking at this thing. Like uh, yeah. it's just it's destroyed my establishment. 
um, career and paths and network and all that sort of thing. So it's and it's obvious. Like it's 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 it's, it's I don't think I had a choice because I because I, I don't think I can work in that world. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, all that all that stuff, all that stuff is there. All, all of the ideas and all, all of the kind of sociological aspect of it. It's all it's all just it's there right in your face. And um, it is funny though because it, it, there's anyone who's not you know, retarded or ideologically um, possessed speaks, speaks about it just casually. But, but we all want jobs and we all want, and all the actors and actresses, they, they want to be able to work on something. And so there's this kind of personality, there's this industry-level personality that you've got. And then behind the scenes, there's all these conversations. I, um, <laughs> when I, I, did a, I did a filmmaking retreat as part of the, this um the reformers um because my last film did really did did uh, was was quite liked by this this uh particular um film festival uh, uh hot springs in arkansas and uh it's a great festival and i really liked everyone there and so per- I, I used my personal um connection to everyone in there to be able to be invited to this this filmmakers retreat which was awesome and um and anyway, it was it, we, we did the presenting <laughs> and we were talking to all these people and pretty quick I knew that I was in the belly of the beast with these kinds of things and there was only certain people you could speak to about it and certain people you couldn't. And just in talking about the, the kind of what, what I was doing with this film, there was a lot of kind of uh, uh, tension at times and um, a lot, it, I found it really interesting because the, the lots of, not lots, three or four of the filmmakers at the retreat would take me aside like really you're doing that we're so into this this is exactly what we want but we would never we would never talk about it openly and um so they all kind of got excited about it so there's this there's this there's this uh how would i wouldn't even know how to explain it it's like an underground it's like an artist underground and the working artists uh are all want to be part of it or they're all they all are part of it um in some sense but uh they have to then behave in a certain way in order to um to progress career-wise um, yeah, and then, of course, you, the you've just got you've world. just got the, the blind ideological, uh, you know, the, the people who are ideologically aligned with this stuff, who actually believe it, the true believers. They they all have high ranking positions and things like that. But it's but I think less and less people are actually um, convinced by it. Um, I see and, that throughout yeah. the professional world right now, Mike. Um, I hear yeah. people all the time like they got to play the game at work. But they're like, we all know it's bullshit. We got boxes to check off. Like I hear that all. We all know it's bullshit. We all know it's bad for business. We all know it's a it's a weight on what we're doing. But we got boxes. We got to check off. And that's mm-hmm. basically the attitude. And the, the other side, the if we want to call them the coordinators or whatever we want to call them, they know it too. Because what is their new meme? They talk about woke washing. Well, it's not going to be enough for you to woke wash or greenwash in your company. You've really got to commit to ESG. That's what all the big like World Economic Forum, United Nations articles are all saying. Is you go, we can't have greenwashing for the environmental stuff. We can't have woke washing for social issues. We need real commitment. We need we need to see real commitment instead. And um, the problem is, is that disconnect is growing. It's I mean, the problem for for the the what's happening to, on their side of things, that disconnect is growing. More and more people know it's bullshit that they're being forced to participate in. And I think that eventually a breaking point happens. And that's why I said before we chip away, we chip away what we're doing. Really, we're not actually chipping away. We're, we're doing the opposite. We're adding weight to their apparatus. If you think of it like 
you know, uh, I, I like this from Tim Urban. He talked about human colossuses in one of his neat little explainer articles. And hmm. he's a wait, but why guy. Um, and so he talked hmm. about human colossuses. If you think of this thing as like a human colossus, as like a giant monster stamping across the countries, the way that you're going to take it down is by making it heavier and heavier and heavier until its legs buckle. And so you want to add weight to it. So these, you know, this Hunter Biden laptop adds weight to the Biden administration. They can't just go out and do whatever they want. They've got this thing every time it just kind of lurks and pops up and makes their life more common. Now they got cocaine in the White House. Nobody knows where it came from. It adds weight to the problem. Oh, they coordinated with the SPLC. With this came out today. They coordinated with the Southern Poverty Law Center to get Moms for Liberty listed as a anti-government extremist group. This Wait, I'm sorry. Weight. Just can you can you just repeat that? So the Biden administration yes. coordinated with the Southern Poverty Law Center to yes. malign their opponents yes. as a hate group. Okay. As a matter of fact, there are reasons to believe that Biden himself might have been involved in it because certainly the people who coordinated this from the SPLC in the White House met with Biden multiple times. This is this is known from from whatever the reporting you know sources were, and so yes, uh, and so these things the the details of that don't matter. What matters is just like the grievance studies affair did, just like actually the the exposure through the reformers and 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 you know the release video through the evergreen videos you guys were both making. This adds weight to their apparatus, and as the apparatus gets too heavy, eventually it buckles and it falls, and then we can basically stomp it down and, okay. and end it. And so I think that that's kind of what we're I think, all I think it'd, be cool, it'd be cool to, to delineate a little bit here because um, because we're, we're we're talking about the reformers now, and uh, I find it what I've been trying to do recently is to find a narrow definition for woke. For what I was actually looking at, because I think there's so much going on that it's, it's, it's actually easy to, to create some construct, which is it, and then, and then say it's the same thing when, it, when it's, it's a lot of different um, ideologies and, and interests and infrastructure. And so I don't, I don't, actually, see, I don't actually see woke as, as one big thing. Um, it might be. I, I'm happy to get rid of that word. But I think what we were looking at in in the uh, the grievance studies affair was identitarianism, is what I've been talking about. Which is it's it's its own thing. It's this it's this uh, fundamentalist view on identity and um, and oppression. I guess it's 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 loosely intersectional. Uh, it's the religious. It's a quasi religious movement that follows from the identity studies canon. Uh, yeah. which G- Jim, Jim is a, a complete expert in. And I think what's happening is, is that they are, their endeavor, which is equity, is, um, is I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say shared, but, it, but it's kind of morally fashionable among uh, lefty tech- technocrats. And I think that there's, there's a kind of lefty tech- techni- technocracy that is, uh, is, its ideology is probably scientism or something like that. And so the, the, the identitarians are a faction within that and who are very much looked after and very much signal boosted by the, by the powers. 
but you you do you do have something that, that's completely different that, that we're talking about when we're talking about the uh, the, the administrations and the, the NGOs and things like that. And so it's it's uh, I think that uh, I, I, I lately I've been interested in narrowing my definition down so I can pull back and figure out what the hell it is that we're looking at and look at all the moving parts individually so I don't fall for the the, the problem of calling it Goliath or they or it. I think I'm very interested in, in understanding how power works and what what is uh, what it is and and how it's interacting with technology right now. Um, and I think that I think that the the film we're talking about here is very much looking at something specific, and I would call it identitarianism. Um, you can call it woke if you want, but I, I don't really want to call it that anymore because it's too blurry. It's too blurry that concept now. Well, I think that um, technology is actually a, ne a necessary ingredient. I think we agree on that, um, all three of us. Ne it, it, it's a necessary ingredient. I don't think this movement, whether even identitarianism uh, or more broadly, whatever we mean by woke, and that's a different dissertation, um, I don't think it could happen without the Internet. As a, fact, as a matter of fact, I was thinking about this today, uh, not to keep bringing up Moms for Liberty, but I'm dealing with the struggle sessions are being put through right now, and I use that term intentionally because that's what they're being put through is struggle sessions. And I've studied the Maoist context of struggle sessions where Mao puts out his formula of unity, unity criticism, unity, and criticism into struggle to get to the correct new basis, which is socialist discipline, was the model that he was pushing in, in his regime, which we know worked in China. And what we have here is sort of like decentralized struggle sessions. You're not getting hauled into a... Um, you're not getting hauled into a prison, a thought reform prison, as they were called, to have your brain washed, where you get hauled out, you get put in a cell with eight or nine other people. That's your only social group now. Mm -hmm. They bully you and harass you constantly into telling you that you should want to confess so yeah. that you can get out of your crime. And then you get hauled in front of a judge who says this, you're accused of some vague ass crime like uh, harming the Chinese people. Go ahead and confess. And you have to start making up details from your life that might satisfy the judge. And there's this pressure on you, both socially in your prison cell. Well, you're not getting hauled into that anymore. It's all decentralized. And so what we broadly consider to be woke behavior is, in fact, decentralization of the struggle session. You don't have to have judges and interrogators and a prison cell environment. We have this new environment where very much like the Red Guard, but kind of on steroids, uh, it's been decentralized. You just have people on the Internet struggling one another mm -hmm. and getting friends to turn on friends. Hey, it would be reasonable if you just confessed. Hey, it would be reasonable if you said you were sorry and backed off. You want to be the reasonable person. You want to show people that you're the bigger guy or whatever. And they're creating these huge amounts of social pressure. So what you've kind of done... the if, if we had the power to like sit on the Geneva Convention in sane times and talk about it, I think we would all be able to agree that what was going on in Mao's prisons constitutes a form of psychological torture that should be barred by the Geneva Convention. This was a thought I was having this morning. But it's impossible to do that when it's decentralized. You can't call this psychological torture when it's just people as the, as, you know, the, 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 identitarians and woke people call it holding people accountable for their speech you can't stop people from just acting in a largely organic way even if that's ganging up and bullying up on people but the only way i think that takes off is when you're no longer dealing with face-to-face -face communication between individuals and usually fairly small groups but you have this decentralized phenomenon on the internet like on if you get struggled on twitter you have a few people 
sometimes they have multiple accounts. You have lots of bots jumping in and you end up in this firestorm for days. At first, it's like what's happening. Then it gets a little yeah. bit funny. Then it gets depressing. And then you get dragged into this misery and mud and it really eats your psychology up. Having been through this a number of times, I am familiar with the pattern as it um, unfolds. And I think that social media is a necessary ingredient to have decentralized the struggle session. And I think that what, you know, we've talked about critical education. One of the things we didn't target that much in the grievance studies affair, but the progressive stack paper becomes an important story and key to the reformers as well. But the critical education method, Paulo Freire being kind of responsible for this, allows for this outsourcing of the denouncing impulse that, so if you go as narrow as you can for woke, I want to go as broad as I can. Well, what is it as broadly as possible? It's believing the world is arranged structurally, which is to say critical theory, and then denouncing everything that you want to control using critical theory until you control it. That's what it is at the broadest. Which is, which is, very, which is very Maoist. Yeah. Right. I, I That's right. It's Maoist. Well. You I'd like to say family, as well that that decentralized father. aspect was part of the cultural revolution as well. I think what's happening now is it's less... Uh, how would you say it's 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 more passive aggressive and it's happening in abstract space because if you think yeah. if you look at what the the cultural revolution we're talking about the the little red book was circulated and and people were made to read that um, at, in every waking moment and so you had all these kind of passionate passionately Maoist woke people um, that were yeah, reading their little red me, book um, and they didn't they didn't actually have they didn't actually have uh, much else to do uh, in, terms, right. of, in terms of in terms of who uh, consumed through right? the cultural revolution do you know she van fleet so she was uh, she lived through the cultural revolution she got sent to the countryside for three years to work slave labor for the ccp um <clears> but she when when they reorganized the schools when maori organized <laughs> the schools they got rid of all the old textbooks and they got rid of all the teachers so they brought the teachers back but it took them longer to rewrite textbooks and so for like a year or more of her education the only book they had was the little red book that was the only school book they had was the little red book and if you look at, you look at that in terms of this this is the this is probably the the main connection i'll make between the two cuz um it's it's i'm always trying to look for something i can kind of grab onto rather than than you know these vague um shapes that look very similar or psychologies or things like that. I think it's distribution because if you look at the little red book, the distribution, it's like, it's like if you look at the books, what books have been published the most in history, it's, it's like the little red book and then the Bible. It's like the little red book was a huge uh, ideological distribution effort and, um, and very, 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 very successful. Like it, it, it made, it made, it, it turned that place crazy. Because um, it, it had sim similar ideology to what we've been studying in the identitarian uh, disciplines. I mean, even um, the fact so, that it's so a what we have book. now. What's that? Sorry, I said even that it's a little red book helped that distribution effort. It's easy to print exactly. a little book. It's like an iPhone. It's like we've got the little black book now. Um, anyway, so what's happening hmm. is is there's there's a battle. It's like it's like a, the the typeface on the little red book. There's a battle for that typeface because we've all got we've all got the 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 moving typeface behind us, and it, it happens through the interpretation. So so the mm. news the news media interpret every news uh, in uh, every news uh, story in a certain way with the same hermeneutic, and it comes through through the hermeneutic. And so that, that's, that's the, the interesting thing. That's that's yes. kind of an interesting thing is is that you're looking, you've Freddy got this little, little black book in your hand. And you, yeah. you you're, you're reading it, and you think you think the typeface is changing, or the thing's changing, but it's consistent reinforcement well, of of right. these, these, these premises. Taught. 
that's how he decentralized this idea of critical denunciation is that he taught uh, the hermeneutic, the critical hermeneutic. Education becomes an excuse to teach the critical hermeneutic. Oh, we could look at math, but we can look at it through this critical lens. Oh, we can look at history, but we can look at it through this critical lens. And if you're not doing that, you're somehow, you know, perpetuating inequality. This is a very easy thing to get into somebody's emotions and think, well, if I want to be a good person, it's valuable. This is the thing you got to do. And like you said, the media repeats it. it once you learn the hermeneutic, you, you can apply it to anything. That's why we have like streetlights are racist, the dirt is racist, the sky is racist, everything and is also, racist. It also becomes about sense making as well because once, once you make sense of the world in a certain way, you make sense of yourself inside that world through that, through that theory. And I guess this was, this was my main um, path in here was I'm interested in stories and storytelling and film. And then I noticed that all the films that were getting funded and that were, were coming my way had a, a similar structure to them. And so I used to say to Jim, it's like all our stories are serving theory. And so right. they're, they're, uh, once, you, once you start to look at these patterns, you're like, what, what, are, you, what's the, what, are, what are these stories yeah. serving? Because it's not entertainment. It's not, um, it's not truth. They're serving something. The and so I, I tried to figure out what they were serving, and they were serving yeah. theory. They're serving theory, critical theory. Well, and what that's serving. why I would say with James, um, in, uh, in contrast to what you were saying, Mike, with just, just focusing on identitarianism, identitarianism is one way in which power uh, turns power towards itself. It's one way of for power to accumulate more power. Identitarianism yep. by teaching people to think in terms of race, class, and sex, and gender, by dissecting the human being into all these categories, those categories serve technocracy, they serve organization, mm -hmm. they serve efficiency. Mm -hmm. and, so, mm -hmm. and so it would just be one way that power just adopts and replicates itself throughout the institution in one way. Queer theory is another way of doing it by infecting sexuality, infecting this gender ideology. Um, the kids right now, uh, this generation are incredibly susceptible to this gender ideology. They're surrounded by it. They are they're they are unwittingly by trying to achieve some sort of authenticity with their true selves. They're reducing themselves into these categories of their sexuality, their gender, and then and then they are then put through in, in certain cases with regards to detransitioners and transitioners. They're actually fed into a machine that hooks them up to life to the machine where they cannot they literally cannot live without the machine giving them their pills giving them their shots and then taking care of their damaged bodies for the rest of their lives all and it starts with and it doesn't need to be intentional on behalf of the medical industry it doesn't need to be intentional on behalf of the people who are pushing this in schools it just it all serves and the system itself reinforces the things that that the system wants. And and then it is packaged with empathy. It's packaged in anti-bullying. It's packaged in, in liberation. It's packaged in emancipation. But it all serves the system. So I, I think that you can look at it in individual cases to, in order to free an individual that's caught in a racial way of thinking, a queer way of thinking. Mm -hmm. In order to free mm -hmm. people from it, you do need to get into the nitty gritty. But in mm -hmm. order to study it mm -hmm. as a whole, you can see that it is, it's not even top down or, or bottom up. It's, it's the system itself. So I, I can see James saying well, this well, is a I'm, colossus. I'm not, I'm not interested. I'm, so I don't think that there's, 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 there's much difference in what we're saying here. I guess it's probably yeah. more, more of a tactical uh, difference here because I, I think I'm just trying to make sense of it myself um, and trying to figure out all the smaller parts so I can pull back and see the whole more clearly. And so I'm, I'm kind I of... I think that what Benjamin was just saying shows through in the film really clearly with Pete's experience, um, which I think the film actually shows 
brilliantly is the the harassment that this monster was putting Pete through in his institution. Um, they they course, literally Pete, took their names, the people who went after Pete, they blobbed themselves. They intentionally formed a collective. collective. <laughs> so how, how, how the strangest thing about it is you read, you read, you read their texts. You're, so you read and you understand the ideology and then something like that happens and you're like, of course that happened. Do, do you know what I mean? It's, it's this, the, if, to anyone who's walking, who might have seen the film and doesn't really understand what's, what, what these people think, um, that just might have just been this, this uh, separate, separate um, happening, just a strange, strange thing that they weren't brave enough to, to uh, put, put their, their names, names individually something. go after him. But, it, but it's like, yeah, we, we, want, to, we want to present ourselves as a collective identity. <laughs> See, like, I, I'm more cynical you know, about that. I don't course, think it's a matter of, of being brave. Do. I think it's a matter What's of that? them creating the perception that they need to hide behind an, an anonymous collective because yes. it's so dangerous which, which for them. Which is the victim, yeah. Which and, is, which and is that the, the they could have oppressed. The blob could have okay. learned that from Evergreen because once, when Evergreen was just peaking and and Brett was about to go on Rogan, the morning, the night before he goes on Rogan, Brett Weinstein, who who gets kind of struggle sessioned and and it goes viral. The night before he goes on Rogan, the professors release a ninety two uh, like this this denunciation. Here is his sword. <laughs> The professors released this denunciation of Brett where we need to we need to change our our faculty standards of conduct in order to prosecute him. And we need to change the student, um, you know, codes of conduct in order to excuse the students. And then they publish that. And th th there's 92 people that list it. They, they, they all put their names on this. And so the blob might have realized that actually that's a weak way of going about it. One, these people can now be targeted. But I like what you're saying, James. Like if we just do a blob, then nobody can pin anything on one person it just feels like the institution itself is demanding this or the institution itself is is they're, they're is, very good is at appearances right like there's it's 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 a well, yeah, there's nothing else but appearance maybe as you, you're saying but it, they're, they're pr masters they're, they're masters literally whacking PR. pete over the head with a stick and saying it's too dangerous for us to show our faces <laughs> yeah that's yeah, what it is yeah yeah for sure it's a it's an image it's the same thing that just appears again and again you you pick it the the example i gave earlier about you know they created this stupid protest outside moms for liberty and then said philadelphia didn't want you here that's the image they created complete yeah. lie everywhere i went i ran into people all over the street who knew where i was or like giving me sandwiches and stuff it was like awesome uh it was the exact opposite it was like bizarro world to read these things like same thing here though it's like oh well we're in so much danger that we have to hide as a collective uh, against, you know, Pete's retaliation. And Pete's like, how do I talk to a, a collective? How do I talk to anonymous people? But they write this scathing well, article. It's the big long nose. It's a script. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 not it's not discourse anymore. It's it's finding new and and different and se well, seemingly different ways to recite a script. God bless Pete's energy in that. Uh, where he encountered those things, that it really is <laughs> so good. It's His reactions so good. are just—it's so much fun, I'm so man. He's such a fun guy. Like, I'm so glad you got us those GoPros and told us to film our our experiences because <laughs> we would have missed so much. The you know everyday Pete. <laughs> So one one reaction to this. So if there's a co coordinated, uh, if this, insofar as this is coordinated from top down and bottom up, one question is: Does can it ever be defeated without a coordinated 
reaction or can it be ever defeated by an uncoordinated reaction and that's where we get into questions of reactionary um some form of fascism but this thing itself is fascist it, it's it's one blob it's the state it's the corporations it is very fascist and stuff but when we talk about the christian nationalism that kind of that's kind of is a specter or a boogeyman that is attractive to counter this like a, a full-scale rising up of the christian nation or of america against the the oppressors you know, um, so I'm wondering, like, there's the temptation to think in 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 terms of of what we're talking about in order to defeat what we're talking about. And I'm wondering, Mike and well, that, that's, Jam- that's James, where, I know you. That's where the scary parts of history start yeah. happening, right? And I don't want to I don't yeah, want right. to be the guy that's that's going, oh, the, the the Nazis are coming, like the next Nazis are coming, because I think that that's that's overplayed. Um, and I am interested in, in, in a lot of the post-liberal right stuff. Um, I, I just, I'm, I'm interested in, in the, their points. And I, mainly, mainly from a, from a uh, how, how do I describe it, a, um, a descriptive standpoint. I think they, they understand how power works way better than, than anyone right now because they've put the time and energy into it. And maybe because they're beneath contempt, they're, they're in terms of the, the uh, established legacy world they're they're actually saying what they think which gives them which gives them a a real world advantage um so yeah from a descriptive enterprise but you know i get get a bit creeped out from the prescriptive enterprise and just to just when you were saying that um there's there's a temptation to become your enemy and then push back from the other other side that that's history that's 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 when the the some fascist force did come into play um I, i don't think that energy is there now and i think it's ludicrous to kind of say that the 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 the, whatever's going on with the trump thing is is fascist i mean there's there's kind of similar shapes in there and um and there there are some definite scary aspects to it but i don't think they're as big or as as imposing as as the ones that turned into something very dangerous in history. So yeah, yeah, I I don't really know where I am with it, but um, Jim, you, you probably have a more solidified stance on on what was happening. To make the question more specific to, to James, James, is it, is it possible that this Goliath can just collapse under its own weight? And is that all that that's needed or is there a necessary reaction or building some sort of counter structure to catch those pieces when they fall, to catch, you know, civilization when it falls. You know. I always get confused by this because I think that the structure to catch it all is already there and already has been there. I I, I keep saying this and I've okay. said this from yeah. when I first met Mike years ago. It's the cure to snake oil is not to drink some other poison. It's to stop drinking the snake oil in the first place. So what I actually think is that it requires a disorganized response to be honest with you and i think that we are we already have a constitution we already have a structure here in the united states at least to catch the pieces when they fall it's called the freaking constitution it's already there i mean it's what's on my shirt we are the people (laughs) but um like i don't i don't really understand that but we go back to again this hitler quote that the monster would get in trouble for he who owns the children gains a future so the insinuation by Moms for Liberty is that the Democratic Party and Biden and so on and the teachers unions are playing that game. They want to own the children to gain the future. That was obviously something they were saying is bad. And then yes. they got thrown back at them. Oh, Moms for Liberty is fascist. They want to own the children to gain the future. Well, let's actually stop and look at what the Moms for Liberty want. Mm, they want yeah, yeah. parents to own their own children in a sense. In fact, every family becomes its own independent 
arbiter of how those children are going to be raised. In other words, there is no centralized program for how kids are to be raised. It's up to each parent to make those determinations within, of course, the boundaries of the law. And so, and, and, and that, that happens. That happens answer. time after time. Every every accusation of fascism, you go looking at, looking for it, and then you'll find some, you know, classically liberal or or just some some other noted, state yeah. of mind. Um, it's because so, they think yeah. freedom is fascism. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, or, or it just helps their cause. It's 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 kind of building building a demon. Um, there with will their have little to PR be, machine, little big big PR machine. Sorry. I mean, there will have to be operational things that that happen that are you know a little more coordinated. You know, lawfare has to be strategic to be effective. You're not going to get a smart case before the Supreme Court by just throwing lawsuits at the wall to see what sticks. That's not going to work. The left knows this and they're very good at it. They understand that there's a structure to a strategic lawsuit or lawfare uh, attack, which is, you know, you figure out the right plaintiff, you figure out the right case that has the possibility of being something that's weighed out at the Supreme Court and appellate court. You take it to a, a regional court, you depend on it getting appealed. I mean, there's a whole strategy that people that do these things know, and it's not just throwing spaghetti at the wall. So there has to be that kind of coordination. But ultimately, I think that I, the prize we have to keep our eyes on is liberty. And liberty means that different people get to do different things and get to believe different things and get to say different things. And that means that there's not some, you know, like I saw on social media the other day with this provocateur called, called Wolf puts up. Uh, the only two flags that I support or whatever, and he puts the Christian flag above the American flag, like, no, fuck you. Sorry, uh, you can be Christian or not, but in the United States, we don't fly a flag higher than the United States flag. We don't fly on a flagpole the pride flag or the progress flag, and the people who do that are wrong, the people who decide to put, and it's not even a Christian flag, it's a freaking Protestant flag. Like, the Catholics have a different flag, and they're like, the hell is the nice Protestant flag, guys? That's cute. You know, um, <laughs> real nice. Uh, so, it, it's really kind of uh, preposterous to think that that is the way when it obviously alienates tons of people, but it also is going to concentrate people under a particular banner that is, first of all, very easily negated. Liberty is not easily negated. You have to negate a thousand different opinions, not just one. Um, the, the decentralized approach, I think, yeah, is what well, it has to be. That's why I said whether you want to talk about adding weight or chipping away, we chip away at the thing or add weight and make it stumble. Uh, and then what do we have to pick up the pieces? We already have a liberal society. We already have the idea. Adam Smith, I was talking to Mike about this the other day. We have Wealth of Nations, right? Adam Smith writes Wealth of Nations. Karl Marx is not a big fan of this book, as it turns out, rails on it through quite a lot of his stuff uh, that explains the capitalistic project or the, the market project in, in liberal economies like the United States early on. And this is what I was saying to Mike is just like he said, we're breaking free now of kind of an aristocracy of ideas where there's the experts who tell us what is and is not true. Journalists, researchers, you know, officials Same or whatever. Yeah. Well, we need kind of a wealth of nations for the idea economy that we've broken into where do your own research can be understood through a similar lens like information and data are kind of a form of property, private property that we should have secured as something uh, we have an inalienable right to that which we produce. And then we understand, you know, kind of this liberal ownership of it. If somebody's going to come along and set up some new, you know, post-liberal project to kind of, you know, grab the ring like Baramir and try to go wage war on Baradur, they're just going to set themselves up as another dark tower. And that's why we say that's the presage to all these worst chapters in human history is when it's either the communists take over, really, really dark chapters, and the second worst chapters are when fascists are the ones that repel them. 
I think we have this structure already. We have we have a market economy that can be set free from this ESG cartel. All it takes is a little bit of smart lawfare and prosecution. It's mm-hmm. really all it takes. Some antitrust, a few bold leaders in position, statesmen as opposed to politicians willing to play the game, a few people in corporations who say enough is enough and they decide it's time to start talking about how all this crap really works. We have we have that. So we already have an economic structure ready to catch the pieces as they fall. We have people hungry to make new schools, new institutions, new models of, of education at higher learning and in K through 12. It's all there. People are champing at the bit to do it. We just have to free up the market to be able to do it. Same thing in the econ- or the information space. We have people desperate to get their voices out in kind of alternative and new media. Look at Mike. Why is this film not in a film festival? Why is this film having to be, you know, released on Substack instead of through some gigantic, uh, you know, channel that wants to make millions of dollars off of it potentially? Well, it's because the industry's captured. There are people ready to well, well, run on that on that front as well. Yeah, on that front as well. I think that the claiming. So my my major heuristic here for something to work towards because I'm not really. Uh, yeah politically motivated in terms of you know how the legacy structures work in terms in terms of uh the information you're just space, after fame think, and money I'm, right <laughs> that's all you know well i i'm i'm very interested in the cultural front and I, th- I don't think you can you you can we stand a chance without the free flow of information and so there there's actually um there's infrastructure under that and i think elon taking over twitter though i'm eating shit because i can't share any of my Substack uh articles or or, or or promoted on there i think elon taking over twitter was a really good um uh move forward to for for encouraging the free flow of information i think substack is a really good platform and i think there's a there's a lot of new technology coming into um coming into the space which in the best case scenario it'll create a renaissance in the worst case scenario it'll be the same as that uh and i think that so I, I'm, I'm interested in, in the actual technical uh, aspects, you know, hardware and software of creating free-flowing information that can't be fucked with. And um, I think that that, that that will help the cultural space um, do its thing. Yeah, I think that that's actually uh, this is it's super super central to everything that's going on. Is that we've got to pre- pre- preserve the free flow of information, and I think, I I mean, I've called it the flame of the second enlightenment. I've given it all kinds of names. I think that we have another renaissance waiting right before us. I'm starting to see the comedy come back. I'm starting to see people finally willing to make fun of woke and for it to kind of land um, without getting shouted down and blasted off of everything. Um, so if the comedy starts coming back, things are going to start moving very quickly culturally, I think. Um, mm-hmm. But as well, as well, I think, I think just the, the, I don't, I think the, 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 even the concept of a central culture, it's like hegemony is fugues. It doesn't actually exist. If you have free flow of information, then you have cultures. And so I, I think that, that, that a lot of the, the things that people consume and the cultures we create will be fractured. They won't be this big central blob. And so pointing to this hegemonic normative force might actually be harder and harder to do if you keep that free-flowing information. I don't know what's on the other side of that because it's, it's very noisy and uh, yeah. how just, it, 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 things devolve when you don't really have a, a central motivating narrative. But uh, I, mean, I, I think, think that we will break into mini so. narratives. Like I, I can't, I can't actually see how we we keep these these giant central narrative structures together. 
with a free-flowing internet. We, we might uh, not have a free-flowing internet, and that's probably how it'll be done. But How does the wealth yeah. of nations figure into ideological fracture? So there's two major works from, from, from the time period, from the late 18th century. One is Wealth of Nations, and one is uh, Democracy in America, de Tocqueville. And I think that these lay out what liberalism looks like in the economic sphere, which is a big, messy thing, and I don't see how it's going to work, but it's just amazing what's going on. That's Wealth of Nations. And then Democracy in America, this, this experiment in America is this weird experiment in volunteerism and willingness to come together and solve problems on local levels. It's something the world's never seen before. And, you know, there's all hmm. these different people, different backgrounds, different cultures, but what they're united around is this idea that we can, literally an ideal, that we can live together under one vision of liberty. That's the American experiment. Tocqueville was taken by this. So there in the political realm, you have this kind of description of what we're looking at with this kind of new world that we can kind of step into. And now what I think is, and I've said this to Mike for a couple of years, I used to say we need the Federalist Papers for, for information, but I think what we actually need are, are the equivalents of Wealth of Nations and um, in Democracy in America, but not talking about the economic and political spheres, but talking about the information universe, kind of a third world that needs to be addressed in terms of what liberty looks like and what the blessing of liberty look like and why that messy stormy sea is actually something that we should prefer to the kind of curated uh thing that felt very safe and stable for the last 70 years maybe during the pax americana that now we've seen was corrupted probably from the beginning to be a kind of curated uh truman show of reality hmm. well guess what we're breaking free one way or the other and i think that having somebody who has a better understanding of them than I do, who understands what wealth of nations represents in economics, what democracy in America represents in um, in in politics, could come come along and start talking about what the equivalent would look like in information. Of course, Martin Gurry has thrown down some interesting, you know, salvos in that direction. We know he was probably inspired by Marshall McLuhan, who, you know, Mike has lots of thoughts about. Um, there were, these are people that were poking in that direction over the past, you know, couple of decades or a few decades, but kind of that first real comprehensive treatise, and maybe it already exists and it's just not, you know, in front of me that I realize, but this comprehensive treatise that explains what it looks like when we have a genuinely free information environment and how that allows ideas and cultures and other things to collide and mix and grow in this American kind of style, I think is necessary. And I think that's why I bend toward international friends uh, noted, but I, I bend toward this idea of Americanism being the solution is that we can be different people who unite behind one idea, which is liberty, um, that you and I can be neighbors of completely different creeds and completely different backgrounds and get along is it, a revolutionary idea. And I think that it just needs to be figured out and start to be written down. Oh, um, not even just not even just in the abstract idea or legal sense. You could you could program it. Theoretically, you can you can you can find ways to program these uh, these principles into the things we use. Um, there's a lot of work and a lot of uh, a lot of thought that has to go into how that how that actually functions. But it, I'm I'm interested in the, in that side of it. Or you can just start a you YouTube channel and Gator interview everybody on the sun. What did we see? There you go. From Gator, the super chat. Yeah. So we'll read, read it in the, the proper Gator voice, which is, okay. Hi, yes, How's... this is Gator. Everything got dumber after you wrote those papers. Ergo, it's your fault. Um, well, that's true. <laughs> I mean, post hoc ergo propter hoc is the usual logic of the day. Um, so 
Gator, as usual, <laughs> is, is doing the analysis, the depth of analysis yeah. that we need to understand yeah, the, the world around us. The Gator eye view. Um, so you know, I, it's I'm like how the, with the reaction that we were just talking yeah. about. You know, it's like you know, gay marriage happened, and then there's drag queens everywhere. Post hoc ergo propter hoc. This thing came after, therefore it was caused by. It's simple logic. Everybody knows that's in Latin, so it must be true. Yeah. Slippery slope is a, another good question, but if if the so Wu basement asks if about the slippery slope one day, I would love that. That's a thing. You don't I'm like that about it. You you're like slip and slide. No no go no go with your logic. There's a slope that's being lubed, and then there's the regular slope, which you can go up and down on whenever you want. <laughs> okay. Is, there are two slopes. If, if if the discourse fails and it becomes a civil war, James, will you lead the charge with your sword? Do you ever <laughs> can seriously you, can you worry? Start? Can you show Did us you that see sword? the film, it's, it's Benjamin? What happened with my sword in the film? Do you want me leading a charge with it? Of course I will. But see what happened. <laughs> do you ever seriously? Do you ever take seriously worry about civil war, like like out yeah. and out violence? Okay. Yeah, I do. And I do. would you I'm be involved in that? Well, I mean, if it comes to it and we have to get like that, we have to get like that. But I'm not going to like push for it. I want to avoid that as long as possible. So your accelerationism is not towards violence. It's it's towards just ridicule and delegitimization of the bad. That's myth, right. Delegitimization. That's the whole game. Um, I want to cause them to burn off their goodwill with the with the people as quickly as possible, which means letting them and helping them look like fools. I want them to commit to the logical consequences of the ridiculous positions they espouse. Like when we write the paper about the progressive stack and they're like, yeah, yeah, abusing kids, but don't use compassion. Well, let's go ahead and own that. Is that what you think is really necessary to get over privilege that we have to abuse, you know, privileged kids out of their privilege? We've got to chip away at their privilege by putting them in the floor, chaining them up and talking over them, you know, all kinds of, you know, abusive tactics. Is that what you really think? Tell us what you really think. It would this thing, you know, it's constantly like, you know, we get protested at Monster Liberty with the communists. So I'm now going to all these state representatives that back the protest. I'm like, did you know you backed communists? Just go ahead and own that you support communists. Let's just get out and say it. Let's just get this all on the table. So, yeah, my goal is to accelerate toward delegitimation, not to um, to violence. I think that I think that in liberal societies and this is a rule that we we live under. Uh, he who uses violence first loses. Nobody has the authority outside of the state, but not even really the state. Uh, nobody in a liberal society has the authorization to use violence first. Now, there are a lot of people who argue back to me they're already using violence, and I say that we should be very cautious with that. I think that we should set our bar very, very high for what that looks like, and the response should be for as absolutely long as possible. The self-defense usual response is that we show as much restraint as possible. We don't do anything until it's absolutely necessary, and then when we do have to respond that it's with the goal of restraining and neutralizing the opponent. I'm really actually worried is this cultural tide is turning right now. It's unambiguous mm -hmm. that it's turning that the desire for being free, which is v good is going to tip over into the desire for revenge. And or that's order. dangerous. Yeah. I hear the rage. I hear the rage in people. I know that's there under the surface that they want to punish the people who have oppressed them for the past however many years, depending on where they've been and what they've been saying. Certainly three. Um, but for many people, they've experience, been experiencing it even maybe since the 90s in various ways. Can't say what you want. Not allowed to eat hot dogs anymore. You know, it's one small thing after another to the point where finally you have people running for president calling you a basket of deplorables, saying that we have a pandemic of the unvaccinated, that the whole world's 
problem is this that oh you went to a school board meeting so you're a domestic extremist now or a domestic terrorist and so the fbi is going to show up and investigate you you have to worry about what you're going to say on social media because you're going to lose your job even if it's something innocuous being taken out of context by a malicious actor i mean these kinds of things people are really getting fed up with it we all know that there's a double standard we all know that liberating tolerance as it's called is in full effect mm-hmm. and i fear that if we are not um savvy in how we proceed and if we don't have good kind of moral clarity and leadership going into the next stages as the culture turns that we're going to see the desire for freedom which is laudable turn into the desire for revenge which is evil hmm. uh, the, Jenny is getting inking with it asked a question I'm going to rephrase it and give it to, to Mike because I'm, I'm interested in, in the question that I'm going to riff off so if reality and truth are two parts of a trinity what is the third part? And I want to know, Mike, in the film specifically, insofar as you were seeking truth or reality, what was the process and what did you learn about the process of, of showing truth or getting to the truth, getting to the reality of what you were looking at with the reformers and through um, James and, and Peter and Helen's interaction with the institution of academia? Hmm. I guess w- when I was trying to find and convey truth, I was repelled from too much abstraction. So that's, that's something that, uh, as in, that you could have gone very academic with this and um, gone and floated up into high levels of abstraction with the ideas and, and, and things like that. But I didn't want to fly too, float too far away from the ground level. So there's a lot of moments with the people and you can, I, I wanted to focus on the people and the stories and explore the, the, uh, the, what would you say, the higher order conceptual stuff through the ground level uh experiences of the people who were who were pete for instance like i think that his his story says more than than this kind of abstract fight back and forth between um between the professors you know if they were sitting on a stage and and yelling at each other back and forth about what they believed i think that just the story of pete on the ground actually just says says a lot um Yeah, I think I think that's part of it. I, I don't know if that's that adequately answers the question, but that's where my my mind follow went. up. So with my evergreen documentary, um, one thing that lacks is I didn't do any interviews. Well, I did interview with one evergreen protester who turned out to be uh, operating under misinformation, got really embarrassed about what he said, and then had me cut him out of the documentary, um, and, like threatened legal action if I didn't do that. But um, so I'm wondering with the reformers, do you feel like the other side wasn't represented with the evergreen? footage i had all the protesters and i had all the professors saying things to themselves i had all the footage so i don't feel like it was necessarily i I guess it was kind of a gap in the documentary from my point of view that i didn't actually sit down with jameel or sit down with naima and like let them view the footage let them do like an af like looking back on it and examining and then justifying themselves afterwards i'm wondering does your do you feel like there's a gap in the reformers and this is probably something you might not want to admit to by not having having like the other side going on or do you think that the other side is adequately represented if it's a side issue the side well, I, when i started i wanted to do that and then it just you can't do it like you can't get you them can't in front do of the camera and it's it's just it's too hard um to speak to someone when you when you're not forwarding the script and so it's not I, I would prefer i mean evergreen features in the in the, the director's cut of the film it's like it's it's 
it's part of it. And so I think that Evergreen was was their side showing themselves. And so I I I went and sat in on the lectures and spoke to these people and, and did my best. But um, it was too like from a practical standpoint, it's, 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 it's too hard to sit down with someone and have them reflect. Um, yeah. Reflection is not the, a part the, of their ideology or reflection itself is somehow dangerous for them. Um, I mean, it's just, it's just from a practical standpoint, just getting people to sit down and, and even, even from the, the standpoint of the, the format of the film, like how do you, how do you then flip to the other side? It just kind of doesn't fit. Um, so there's, there's, there's lots of reasons why, why I didn't do that. I think that the other thing is, is, is that they, they did speak for themselves in the peer review. And so I made sure that that's all available for people to see. And so the, 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 the abstract work that they're doing is this way. I don't actually even have to, uh, we don't have to attack individuals, we can just attack the the ideas that they're creating, and so that that's all available to look at. And so I think that, um, I think that that kind of fills in for that that other side. That just the 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 way that they interacted with the work of the grievance studies people. But yeah, I mean, I mean, there there is a big gap there. But I, I perhaps a a. a um, Perhaps if I sat down and thought about it now, I could come up for it with a solution for it. But um, it, it, it I don't think really... so, Mike. Um, after, if I might go back to the actual original question and talk about this idea of reflection, because they would tell you reflection is a core part of their program. But the mirror they use for reflecting is theory. And so everything they do, it, everything they see is reflected through theory. So the original, you know, super chatted question was... You know, if we have a trinity and two pieces of that trinity are truth and reality, um, where reality is that which is, and if we accept the correspondence theory of truth, truth is a statement that corresponds to that which is in a faithful way, what's the third piece of that trinity? And the answer to that, if in my Plato scholars that, that follow my, my Gnostic stuff are going to like jump up and down about it, and I get it, but I'm just going to go with words the way we use them today. The third piece of that is epistemology. It's how we come to know. It's how we come to establish the relationship between reality and truths, yeah. how we understand, how we come to the point of, of, of grasping that something we call a truth is in fact a faithful uh, reflection or correspondence to reality. Now what the woke or the left or whatever we want to call it, it doesn't really matter. It's the same thing. What they actually are doing is replacing, and this is in their own words. This is, Frady uses these words, so it is their own words. They have replaced epistemology with something called gnosiology. Gnosiology is a different way of studying knowledge. It's the Gnostic way of studying knowledge where they already know the truth. I know, so therefore I believe or I know they know I the interpretation know of the world that they want so when they say that they're you know you ask is are they reflective are they afraid of being reflective no they're very reflective but what they're doing is they're using a mirror that's like a funhouse mirror that they reflect yeah. reality back in a way that confirms their yeah, they're just a large language person. model of, of theory that's what they've turned themselves into and so this AI. is why sitting down like present i think presenting their side so to speak in the film might have been interesting i think matt walsh did a very good job of that and what is a woman the way he did that he ended up using it to show the way they actually think but i think in the film the reformers i don't think it would have fit it, it's very difficult to get the format to do that um because what you're doing is offering them a chance to show people the world through the funhouse mirror 
uh, you're actually having them sit down and try to describe distortions um, that if you don't do as well as Matt Walsh did in exp- making it very apparent how those are distortions, I don't know, can a chicken cry? You know, it's very difficult to um, to weave that in against, the, I mean, epistemology and enosiology are in some sense very much diametrically opposed. Epistemology, the way we understand it, begins from the premise that, well, we don't know if this proposition about reality is a truth. So let's dig into and be very critical to figure out if it is. Whereas nociology is, we already know what the truth should look like. How do we hammer this thing into that that paradigm? And those are two the, fundamentally the, the, different things. The, the activism that follows from that. So the, the core identitarian activism, if you really wanted to sum it up, is is an epistemological activism. It's a new kind of activism. They, they trace the epistemological supply chains. So how do we know what we know? And then they fuck with them at the source. So they're engineering the culture from the source, which is the universities and, and um, all these kind of high-level knowledge production areas. And they're moving into the hard sciences now. And so it, it, it's, yeah, yeah. I, uh, to really get into the, the nitty-gritty of the mindset, I might have had to interview people who are dead. It's, there's very few people who um, can understand it as well as the, the people who actually constructed it. And they're, they're out there, but they're, they're rich and famous and they're not going to speak to you on camera Jesus. unless... unless Go on. No, go on. I was just going to follow up. No, I was just saying, I think, I think Matt, Matt Walsh was, was successful at, at, at getting people to speak to him, more successful than my early attempts, because he had a big production team around him. And I think that they, they I'm pretty sure, this is what I, I understand, is they use quite underhanded Borat-style uh, producing methods in order to get, get in front of these people. Um, and mm. yeah, that, that you get into a, a, a weird ethical quagmire there, and you know it might seem like the nice, the better thing to do, but it's it's it's, it's quite odd. James, so, since working on this or confronting this in 2011 and doing the sincere thing, and then doing the hoax, and then starting new discourses, like what are some of the major like changes in your own epistemology or the way that like breakthroughs and how you've been thinking about this that have really um, like you're just in your development of the last decade. Or so uh, well i can read them now <laughs> i mean so, that's no small change and yeah. and i think that is the most significant development i remember when i was first presented with this this stuff maybe in 13 getting into some online argument with some woman some feminist and she um she was telling me about sexism and I was like, this doesn't match my understanding of sexism. You know, I didn't say it that way. I probably yelled at her, but, uh, <laughs> send me something. Let me help. Let me understand. And I remember going and reading this thing and coming back and saying, okay, well that talks about sexism as a system, like systemic sexism. I very distinctly remember telling her why don't, or asking her, why don't we say, why don't you say you're participating in what we call systemic sexism Instead of saying, you are a sexist. And she said, they're not different. And I was confused utterly by this. And when, when we first started, I mean, this is a, I, I don't know where Pete is now, but when we were doing the Raven Studies Affair itself, he said repeatedly, I can't read their stuff. I can't read it. I cannot make sense of nonsense. I can't read it. And Helen had the ability to do so. So she was integral to what we were doing. And I was trying to get the training wheels off and figure it out as fast as possible. So the biggest change in my my approach or my, my epistemology or whatever is that I learned to read them. I learned to read that they actually have subtext, that they actually have multiple meanings for words, that when they use a word like inclusive, it means more than whatever you might assume it means, or when they use a word like democracy, 
goodness knows we hear about that, that there's a you know century-long history of misusing that word in a particular way, tracing through Lenin, through Stalin, through Mao, through Pol Pot, through all these guys. And hmm. there was a big, 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 big effort, especially as I started New Discourses, the end of 2018 before it was launched online, I guess 19, sorry, 19, because we launched the week COVID started, which is a great time to launch that. Um, so we, uh, the end of 2019, you've seen some of the fruit of it. I created that um, encyclopedia of terminology. So what I started trying to do yeah. was understand their coded language. And so now when I read their stuff, I automatically read it knowing I have to decode words. I'm reading through yesterday, for example, the uh, 17 Sustainable Development Goals from the United Nations. And it's, you know, we're going to achieve blah, blah, blah for all, blah, 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 blah. Now, normally, nobody's going to blink their eyes at, you know, we're going to achieve, you know, fair employment or whatever for all. This is like an SDG three. It's not quite worded that way, but it's something, some kind of like dignified employment for all, right? Nobody would blink their eyes at okay for all. So we're gonna have zero unemployment. And we move on. No, 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 no. That's not what it means. What it means is that the marginalized people are excluded from fair and dignified employment. So therefore, for all means a redistribution of employment opportunities. In other words, it means equity, mm -hmm. and it means you know all of these kind of affirmative action type things. And so when you get to understand that for all means that we recognize that for structural reasons, and you start to read it through the structural language, that there are certain people who don't have equal opportunity, then for all means redistribution. So when they say, you know, we're going to have a fair and equitable democracy for all, what they actually mean is they're going to disenfranchise people who have, just like Mao said, we're going to disenfranchise people who are, and Lenin said too, who have privilege, and we're going to enfranchise people that they deem don't have as much privilege. In other words, they're going to, as the other language for this goes, they're going to tilt the playing field or re-level the playing field according to their distorted understanding of reality through that mm -hmm. funhouse mirror. So my biggest change from when I started till now is I learned to read that they, they mean specific things by virtually every word. The reason I very rarely add entries to the encyclopedia now is because I was thinking of, for every one I could write, I was thinking of 10 that I had to do and it just became this overwhelming project. And finally, at one point, I decided the fastest thing to do would just go and make every single entry say the same thing. What the word means is communism, <laughs> democracy, <laughs> communism, equity, communism, inclusion, yeah. communism. They all just mean communism, <laughs> all communism. It, but explaining why those words are what they are takes a lot of effort. And when you're coming up with 10 new ones for every one and they can spin them off, you know, honest history became it kind of popped up out of nowhere. Uh, as opposed to true history, they, you know, set up these hmm. kind of synthetic imposters that were supposed to pay. Oh, well, they're going to teach honest history. I don't want your, what you call honest history. I want to teach the best truth of history we have, whatever that is like. But now you're distracted by this word honest and you're off in la la land doing stupid things. Oh, we got to talk about justice. Well, we have to talk about social justice. Uh, well, shit, what the hell does that mean? And now we're off in la la land again. I learned to read them, and that is the biggest thing, which is basically like reading code. I mean, it's very much like having become a military code breaker in, for a political war and deciphering what they say. And then speaking of reflection, then I can see like when they use this word in practice and when they go out and yell about something, does the usual dictionary definition match what they're saying? No, everybody thinks they sound a bit nuts. Something is off. They don't know what, but they can tell. But then this other meaning that you can find usually historical precedent for seems to match exactly. And well, okay, so we can de determine not, we can in fact deduce that they are using 
words to mean something other than their usual meaning that they have specialist language, which they have also bragged about doing. So the biggest change for me is I learned to read them, not learned for the project, for the, for the grievance studies affair. We learned to mimic them. Hmm. I've learned to read them. It's different. I've, I under, when they talk, I understand them on two levels at one time. I can tell when they're shooting it straight. I can tell when they're lying and I can tell when they're doing a double meaning which is the hardest one because they mean a true thing and a false thing at the same time. <laughs> and you, I can hear this almost in real time quite consistently like an interpreter would of a foreign language. That's been my biggest development. And that's just through relentlessly reading and reading and reading and trying to write down to explain. I read mm. this. I know it means something. What does it mean? Let me try to explain it to you. Oh, it must mean this. It must mean that. That's been the biggest change. And Mike, what about you? Because you had to confront all this academic stuff. Like a, like a crash yeah, course. Well, I, I At least you, you had three you people to help you. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you noticed, but uh, I, I kind of missed probably a minute or two. You guys went uh, froze and then I had to, yeah. to re-log in. So I, I don't actually know what the question was. Uh, the question was just like just your process of intellectual development, the process of grappling with the ideas and any kind of changes in the way that you saw what you were looking at. Oh, that, it didn't like, change completely. I was... Um, I was, I think I was reasonably naive to start. Um, I had an intuitive sense that a lot of what they were saying wasn't, what, w what was in the box wasn't what was written on the box. There's an intuitive sense of that um, going in. And I think a lot of people have that intuitive sense. Um, but throughout, I just, I just look at it completely different. I, I'm interested, it's interesting actually looking at the footage, but um, a lot of the questions that I was firing at, Helen, Peter, and Jim were very skeptical, and um, uh, I didn't. I didn't think that the project was going to work. I, I, didn't, I didn't think that they would be successful because I thought I just assumed that these people must be doing something and, and understood um, w would be able to, you know, smoke out someone who wasn't um, PhD level, and so just throughout the the course of, of filming and then uh in, interacting with their their output you just you you kind of realize that it, it is a a big hmm. a big bubble of ideology midwittery um and i don't i don't have the respect for it or the the deference hmm. to it that i had when i when i started out uh James, Erica Ely wants you to wear your testosterone molecule shirt more often. Apparently, you're not um, being testy. It's in the closet for her. And, but I'm wearing uh, my "We Are the People" shirt today, so it is what it is. One uh, wonderful. Can we see? Can we see, the, can we see the sword? I just want to. Can you? Can you just show the world the girth of this <laughs> anime level sword? Wait, what's for your those prop, who haven't Mike? seen, you the, for those who haven't seen the film, there's, there's an amazing scene where Jim is dancing <laughs> quite gracefully with this giant sword. It's so it doesn't really fit in the screen. Wait, hold on. Let me let me uh, let me solo you. There we go. There we go. <laughs> it is. It, I guess I shouldn't put the blade on my shoulder piece, like a dumbass. Uh, it should be upside down if you do that. It should be this way. Uh, Wonderful World of Awesome uh, writes that communism would be a step up from what they're doing. They want to revenge and to create a new Treaty of Versailles, and we know what that led to. I mean, I don't think these things are all that different. I mean, com communism might be a little bit more organized and specific. Uh, I think that what, the, what we're moving toward, we're using Mao's tactics, which are blatantly rooted in communist theory and communist praxis 
We're using Mao's tactics to break the West. We're using identity politics instead of the identities he created in socialism. We're using the same unity criticism, unity formula that he used to do a cultural revolution and a transformation of the culture in China. But we're not aiming for Mao's China. We're not aiming for a 20th century communist dictatorship, the likes of which only kind of exists now in like really bad places like North Korea and Cuba to a degree. Uh, not even the CCP is like that. The CCP is very different because after Mao died, he was replaced by one of his ministers by the name of Deng Xiaoping. And Deng Xiaoping created his own model, his own economic model. That's where they so quote unquote, opened up the market. So we're using Maoist tactics to defeat the West. That's one stage of the revolution that we're in. But the revolution on the other side of that is going to follow into the, to the Deng Xiaoping kind of uh, what well, they're going to call it stakeholder capitalism, but it's a state or super state uh, fascist yeah, the technocracy. communist yeah. redistribution scheme. Yeah. Now, that doesn't reflect your typical wokey on the ground, if you will, your typical identitarian on the ground. They want revenge. They're pissed off. They're useful idiots primarily for this, this agenda. They do want to have kind of a whole like French revolution and they want to take over like the Jacobins and the whole bloody thing. And I say that with kind of a double entendre there with the bloody because haha. But the fact of the matter is they're going to get lined up against the digital gulag and shot, so to speak, whatever that means in the digital 21st century. They're going to get their social credit scores are going to be negative 1000. I mean, these woke people are destabilizers. The goal is to create a sustainable future. They are going to they they don't need destabilizers. If I'm not wrong about the Deng Xiaoping people who, by the way, have all the money on their side and all the power and control yep. the tech companies and have done all these deals and they have their fancy meetings at Davos to talk about these things and make agreements and so on. These people on the street are not going to they have no power against those people and they're a problem for those people. So, you know, the second the social credit system gets in play, they're going to try to placate them for a brief time. They're going to say, oh, yeah, you get your spoils or whatever when they still act like hooligans because they're gonna welcome to reeducation, bitches, because that's what Mao did to his Red Guard. He used them to depose Liu Xiaoqi, who had taken over the chancellorship or the chairmanship of, of the CCP when Mao stepped down after the Great Leap Forward in 62. Mao wanted his seat back, so his primary enemy in the Cultural Revolution was the head of the CCP, his own party. So he wanted him deposed, and so he encourages the Red Guard to go nuts. Mike's calling these people the Rainbow Blob today, but it's the same people. It's the Rainbow Guard, whatever you want to call it. And then the second they got a hold of Liu Xiaoqi, pulled the president down from his seat in the CCP, the, the chairman shamed him, humiliated, struggle session in the street, beat him, sent him off to die in misery in the countryside. Whoops. Like a month later, Mao's like, ah, the Red Guard has become too left, too radical. And he unleashed the People's Liberation Army on their asses and started rounding them up, arresting them, shooting them, and send them off to work in labor camps for re-education. Uh, and that's what's going to happen to these... Uh, on the ground activists so they can want their French revolution all the hell they want. Um, now these big players that are behind this, I mean, Schwab's a front man. He's not a real deal. Uh, th these real players behind this want to go back to total feudalism is what they want to go back to. They want to go back to complete rulership of, you know, Kings and Queens and all of us stupid peasant serfs get to go back to being stupid peasant serfs 
doing mm-hmm. their bidding. Um, so we can say whatever we want to say about that. But the model that they intend for the future is what we see in China now, which is the evolution under Xi that was initiated by Deng Xiaoping uh, quite Is clearly. there any way to be a part of the technocracy and to reap the benefits of, you know, you know like supply chains and easy money and all of the stuff that we do take advantage of and not play into this? Is, is opting out the way forward a protection? Or do you have to um, pl- play the game really. and try to work from within? The- um, I mean, you could probably squeak out a very modest but uh, not wholly uncomfortable existence trying to play the game. It's not a protection. We're talking about total tyranny here. There's no protection. You're either on top or you're crap. Okay. It's, well, it's, yeah, it's but is there any that. resistance to the total state? Doesn't, doesn't it look something closer to um, Aldous Huxley's um, brave new world because they're, 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 I mean, insofar as they're disconnected from what will happen underneath them, and they will be very disconnected because these centralized forces tend to be. So they cause all this kind of suffering uh, just by virtue of, of not, of, of being too centralized and being dissociated from what's happening underneath them. Um, but they're, when, when you watch these, um, these, higher level technocrats speak they genuinely want to try to make the world a better comfortable um uh place for people and so uh you know a lot of people within uh, underneath the ccp are, are living out their lives and everything like that and so um what 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 do you what do you think it looks like if they if if they do create this total control this total state that we're, we're talking might in the future what, 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 I think what that do the you model see in China as? is what to look at. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. they will try to keep us, you know, sedated and happy, uh, entertained on our devices, feeling very little need to get out and travel. Not that there's really possibility for it. You know, they're talking about digital travel, the metaverse. I'm sure that they have all kinds of uh, substances that you can take to make yourself feel good, like in Brave New World. But um, I mean, I don't know that Soma is a real thing that they have coming down the pike. But uh, certainly that they they want a conditioned Sedate, well, I guess. Populate. I guess what I meant, what I meant about the brave new world, is probably not, uh, not as in the um, everything that he depicted there, but more, more the mindset. It's this kind of technocratic elite who feel like they're doing, uh, doing the right thing for everybody. Who are trying to create. Yeah, well, you some see that in China. You see that in China. Yeah, that's a, yeah. that's sort of the the way the elites operate in China. And what you find is, a, I don't know if it's about half or not, but it's a you know non-scientific straw poll based on my experiences visiting the country you see a lot of people in china though maybe half who want to be taken care of yeah um, they yeah. just want to be yeah. taken care of i actually by the way guys a lot of I, a lot of people like I that a lot of chinese people this. i talk about conceive of it like that they're yeah they're, i mean I, I, they're, they're actually confused the kind of they're confused and they, they look at they look at the output um, coming from coming from our countries of kind of uh, political destability and all that sort of thing, go why wouldn't you just why wouldn't you just have a government that looked after this kind of stuff? Um, yeah, that's the mindset. Is, that's the mindset on the ground these, for a lot of Chinese. We talk about these pivotal moments that led to doing the grievance studies of her in the first place. And I had a friend, a male feminist friend, who I was talking with, and I was getting quite you know exacerbated with some of these feminists online. So I was chatting with him. I went to grad school with him. And um, he was, he told me at one point, well, he's, I said something about feminism and he's feminist. So he said, like, well, frankly, I look forward to our new feminist overlords 
And I was like, dude, what? You know? And he said, well, it's just one less thing for me to have to think about oh, if people man. are telling me what to do all the time. And that is actually the mentality I want to also in China. I don't have to think about it. People tell me where to go. They tell me what day to go to the bank. They tell me what day to do this. They tell me when I can do that. When I, and I don't have to think about it. So everything's just scheduled for me. I don't have to figure it out for myself. And that's nice. And I suppose, I mean, it's funny that the, so many of the Chinese have accepted this because they have this concept called the bad emperor problem or the idea of the emperor is a guy with a, you know, basically infinite amount of power. And um, that's great when you have a good one and it's kind of a big problem when you get a tyrant. Um, it's a really big problem. And so this is like a cultural object they understand, but somehow, you know, the CCP doesn't constitute a bad emperor for them because something, but it's hmm. this attitude of wanting to be taken care of uh, rather than wanting to live on your own two feet and, you know, take care of yourself and which sometimes goes really good. And sometimes it goes not as, not as well. Um, you know, it's that security versus Liberty kind of yeah. uh, debate. That, that cuts through the heart, uh, you know, cuts like a line through every human heart. Um, yeah. And I think that they, I think that that's what we would have to look forward to. Yeah. Maybe they want us to be as comfortable as possible in a completely contoured economy and political environment. But yeah. Um, yeah. I think that the human spirit doesn't soar well, very high. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit of click like going it's on. It's like, what the, what's the point? Yeah. Yeah. What's yeah. the point of it? Yeah. You know, people like Mike and I certainly don't get along in, in, in an environment like that very well. Um, no. So what's what's on the horizon for you two? Uh, James, are you done uh, with Gnosising? Or you got you got more, more work to do on uh, Gnosticism uh, with your intellectual? Oh, that's going to be... Uh, I've got to actually sit down at some point and write that book, so which means I'm going to have to finish the reading that I started and didn't complete yet. Um, I got sucked into Mao, so I've been busy with oh. Mao instead of... Uh, in Chinese, do you admire him at all? Of, like, other than being that? a t t terrible tyrant, do you admire the guy at all? Are there any qualities? Uh, no, no, he's yeah. a country bumpkin, uh, huh. and not a good redneck either. Um, no, he was. He was. There was some serious problems with that guy. Uh, like some serious problems. It, there's nothing to admire, in my opinion. I don't get off on the idea of a guy who is good at like manipulating billions, a billion people, or whatever. I don't think that that's very cool. Um, <laughs> I don't see a lot of sacrifice meaningfully in his life that I can admire uh, for the betterment of others. Uh, no, I don't have I don't have much admiration for for Mao Zedong, uh, but I've been studying him. I need to get back to the Gnostic stuff, but those are two different things. I need to sit down at some point and write down. Um, and I have both kind of on my to do list. I'm currently trying to write a book about uh, principles for engagement, not exactly an anti rules for radicals, but something like that. Mm. Uh, you know, how do we deal with 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 this dialectical or leftist political warfare? How do you what are mm -hmm. principles for engaging it? How do we understand it and what it is? What does mm -hmm. it feel like to be put through it? And how do you respond to that? You know, yeah. a set of, of principles, I think this is the main project I'm in I'm mired in right now on top of my literally impossible traveling and speaking schedule. Um, Thanks for taking time. I still want to tell the story I ran into. The, the the fourth thing that I'm kind of big working on still, although I think this is old news, I just need to write it down at some point. Um, there's, I ran into it again today on, on the Twitter, so I know people are still mystified by it, like a pretty big guy, like asked the question. I don't remember who it was, but the point is, 
how on earth can this be so much like communism if it's coming through banks and corporations? And I still think we need to tell the story properly of the death of the old left, the economic left. Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, people such as myself have told part of that story. I think that Vivek Ramaswamy's told a lot of that story very well. But I think that it has to get kind of told in one place that there was actually, in my opinion, a murder plot against the old left, the economic left. Um, that has been very, very successful. And uh, this Deng Xiaoping model is the new model that, that is, is that the, the kind of broad left is shooting for in opposition. And so their, you know, communist utopia looks more like CCP than like Soviet Union or uh, uh, Cuba or whatever. And so I want to tell that story about where Marcuse lays it out in, in One Dimensional Man. And I think that it set the tone for the last three generations of leftists. And then we see through, you know, the model arising in China being tested. And then we see what's going on, you know, with Occupy Wall Street being the moment where all of a sudden the corporations realized, oh, shit, we can use this. Um, you know, we can do this. Uh, and then that kind of tying into the 2012 election for a second term of Barack Obama, who immediately thereafter, actually, I guess it was right before that election, he changed the law and allowed for our media to do propaganda again. Um, these things all kind of tie together to switch gears out of economic leftism, materialist leftism. If we were Helen, uh, we would get into materialism. But on the other mm -hmm. hand, uh, it's switched now into this identitarian model. And it mixed in with environmental model that, that Mike has become more interested in, in whittling down into. So I'm working on developing those in a presentable form, those four different domains. Hmm. It's a lot. No, no, yeah. you're always you're always doing a lot. Mike, what's up with you then this summer? Um uh, I am Congrats on finally finishing this film. You put a, so much effort. It's so well done. It's very beautiful. It's linked in the comments. Everybody should check it out. Excellent. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, yeah. I've moved on mentally from it a long time ago, and so it's kind of it's kind of strange to have to go out and promote it now. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I've got about three or four different film ideas. So I, I released it on Substack with the intent for. Um, Substack to become a viable development model for films. And so the premise of the Substack is the process. I'm sharing my filmmaking process um, and all the research I do, all the people I speak to, because there's all this awesome stuff, you know, aspects of being a filmmaker that you don't actually share at the end of your, your, your I don't want to say filmmaking journey, but it is a filmmaking journey, I guess, but uh, that, that doesn't make the final cut. And so I just realized that how, how awesome would it have been had I been just recording conversations with J James, Helen and Pete the whole way through and writing my thoughts down as I was figuring them out. And I did a lot of research. I probably did the equivalent of some kind of PhD or something like that on, on, on this subject. I just became obsessed with it. And uh, I didn't really put that anywhere <laughs> and so um yeah i just i just i thought that that this this might be an interesting development model for films because if um i can share all that research and interesting stuff that i uh, gather along the way then maybe people will be willing to subscribe and pay for it which will then pay for the for for the uh, first the process and then uh and then the films itself and and the, potentially the post-production or i'll try and get uh, more funding elsewhere but it's um it's been 
it's, it's, it's been successful so far, uh, mostly people coming in to see the film. But um, people are interested in the stuff I'm writing after that. And I'm kind of new to this form of writing and really enjoying it. I think it's a really good way to, to get your ideas into shape. And so I've got about three or four different ideas for films, which will be, you know, slowly taking shape uh, on the process, the, the Substack page that I've created. Wonderful. Wonderful. Our connection's getting kind of fuzzy, so let's wrap it up there. Thank you. Thanks yeah. both Sorry, of you guys. It's getting for, light here. I don't know what's, what's happening. You're, it's, it's the sun. The sun is going away from, from Germany now. It's, 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 in, it's over America now. That's, that's where yeah. the thing's going. But, um, so thanks both for ha- coming on. James, I'm going to get you back on to do the slippery slope. We can uh, get our uh, swimsuits on and then cover ourselves in latex and water, and that'll be really fun. That'll get a lot of people really Baby oil, please. For us. Baby oil. Okay, yeah, let's wrestle. Let's wrestle. Um, <laughs> and thanks, thanks, chat, for showing up. And uh, tune in to both of their channels and their Twitter, and links are in the description. You guys want to say goodbye? Yeah, see ya. Thanks for yeah, chatting, Lance. Good to see you again. Bye. Likewise. There we go. There you go. Sorry about the connection there.